Thanks for tuning in to Mountain View Fellowship's weekly podcast. At MVF, our mandate is pointing people to Jesus by fostering relationships. We know Jesus cared for people and placed a lot of emphasis on relationships. So we do too. We believe that we're created for relationship with God and that He gave each one of us a desire to belong. If you'd like more information about MVF, connect with us at mvfcolorado.com. Now, stay tuned for this week's message. Today we're kicking off a brand new series entitled 10. And uh, I want to share with you real quick as we get going, one of my frustrations or one of my pet peeves, if you will, uh, one of the things I love to do is drive. I enjoy driving. Uh, I like road trips. I like going different places. And uh, what drives me crazy is if I want to go left or if I want to go right uh, when I can't do that. Like, I want to be able to do what I want to do when I'm driving. And there's these things on the highway that as I'm going down the road, if I see something and I want to go, that many times they put these things in place that will not allow you to go where you want to go. If you notice these things, they've got like these uh, wooden posts that they drive into the ground, and then they've got these metal strips on them. A lot of them sometimes are, are like cable. Have you seen these? Do you know what these things are called? Yeah, guardrails. Yes, those things drive me crazy. Because if I'm driving and I see something and I just want to go left, I should just be able to go left, right? Some of you are like, you're crazy, right? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. When we're talking about driving, you and I, uh, that sounds goofy, doesn't it? Like, I should be able to go where I want to go when I'm driving. And you're like, "Mm, not really. Why? Well, because that could put myself or somebody else in danger, right? And so, so often we look at guardrails and we go, okay, those are there to protect us. That keeps me safe and that keeps other people safe. If I have a blowout tire, uh, you know, blowout as I'm going down a road and it it takes me off the road, instead of hitting that column holding up that bridge, I can hit a guardrail and it directs me down the road or it keeps me, worse case scenario, from going into oncoming traffic. And so we understand what guardrails are for when it comes to driving. But when it comes to our life, so often we think, well, I should be able to do what I want. I should be able to, to take a left if I want to go left or a right if I want to go right and nothing should be, you know, allow me to, to or keep me from doing what I, I want to do. And so we struggle with guardrails in our lives. Uh, this series today that we're kicking off today for the next five weeks, we're going to be covering the Ten Commandments. And, and these, I want you to think of them as guardrails for your life. They're in place to keep you safe and to keep the people around you safe as well. And and the thing about the Ten Commandments, so often we look at them and we we have this objection to them or we hold them at arm's length because we think that they restrict us from living a full life when in reality they protect us. They help us to live a better life. They were never intended on, on being a set of rules that would burden God's people. That's not what they were intended to do, but yet so often that's the way we view them. So let's go over to Exodus chapter 20, go to verses 1, 2, and 3. That's what we're going to be covering today. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We've got some guys coming up and down the aisle. They'll hand you one. It is our gift to you. Put your name in it, and then head over to Exodus chapter 20 with us. Now, uh, as I was saying, these set of rules that were given in Genesis chapter 20, they also come up later in Deuteronomy chapter 5. They were never intended to be a burden on God's people. Actually, they were intended to set God's people apart. 
They made them different because they had a set of rules to follow to give them a better life. And it was something that God used to show the rest of the world who he was through his people. And so when you think of the Ten Commandments, I want you to think of them as guardrails. Or I want you to think of them as a set of values uh, just, just to set the people on the right track, to keep them on the right road so that they didn't get hurt and they didn't hurt other people as well. Uh, you fast forward 3,000 years, we come to today. So often we think of the Ten Commandments as old school or, or you know, they're, they're just, they're outdated. We should just get rid of them. And I, I want to make a case over the next five weeks that the Ten Commandments are timeless, like, they are more relevant today than they've ever been, not less relevant. Uh, the, the, if you read through the entire uh, section of the Ten Commandments, you'll find out the Ten Commandments are just over 300 words. But yet, they are so foundational to the legal system to the Western world today. If you go to our, our records or our law books and you start digging, what you'll find out is that the the Ten Commandments set the foundation for just about every type of legal system in the Western world today. The fingerprints of God's Ten Commandments are all over our law books, and you can't escape it. They're still just as relevant today. Now, the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20 uh, come on the tail end of God bringing his people out of slavery. He has brought them out of Egypt They've, they've exited, they're, they're marching, they're, they're making their way to the promised land, and God brings them to this place called Mount Sinai, and, and there he begins to give his people the instruction. He begins to tell them what he desires for them, and this is where we see the Ten Commandments given. Moses and the people are there, and God is pronouncing to them his Ten Commandments, and, and this is how it starts. Exodus chapter 20, are you there? All right, this is what it says. Then God gave the people all these instructions. I am the Lord your God. Now, if you underline or circle in your Bible, I encourage you to write, uh, you know, circle that, underline that, star it, whatever you do, because this is how the whole thing starts. This is the foundation for everything that we're going to cover for the next five weeks. I am the Lord your God. Who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. You must not have any other God before me. This is the first commandment out of the Ten Commandments. And he says, look, you, should not, you shall have no other God before me. There's no God but me. He, he starts it by saying, I am the Lord your God, period. That's it. There is no other God. So often we look at the Ten Commandments as, as restrictions of what not to do. And in reality, the first one that we read here really has more to do with what you center your life around. How you prioritize your life. What, what's the focus of your life? When you go through your day, how do you decide what to do and what not to do? It has everything to do with this first commandment. I am the Lord your God, and you shall have no other gods before me. Well, how do we know if there's other gods in our lives? How do we know that? I would ask a couple of questions. First one, uh, what do you think of most in your free time? Like when you're just at home chilling, you got your feet up, what's consuming your mind? If, if, that's, if that's not God, you might have another God in your life. Uh, let me ask it this way. Who do you want to please more in your life? Who do you focus your life on? Uh, is it a boyfriend? Is it a spouse? Is it kids? Is it a friendship? Or is it God? 
These can point to the fact that you might have some other God in your life. Now, um, we could take a negative slant on this today, and I don't want to. I want to be very positive with this. I want to encourage us, and I want to challenge us to take these steps toward fulfilling this first commandment. So I'm going to ask a question today, and this is the question I want to drive uh, home, is how do I put God first? How do I put God first? Because if we're all honest, every one of us, uh, when I asked those first two questions, all of us had to say, hmm, yeah. There might be some other things in my life. And so I want to ask the question, how do we get to the place where we're fulfilling the first commandment? And so how do I put God first? And and I'm going to give you five areas of your life that you can check and you can find out, are you putting God first? Is he the focal point of your life uh, to fulfill this first commandment? The first one is this, give him the first priority in every decision. Uh, You want God to be first in your life? Every decision that you make in life, you have to put him first. Now, many of us, we we don't even think about God when we're making life decisions. For me, I make decisions all the time, and I don't give God a second thought. And then I I make a decision, and I'm like, God, please bless this decision. Come alongside me and help me with this. And then when it goes wrong or it turns south, next thing I know, I'm blaming God for what's happening in my life. God, why would you let this happen to me? And he's like, you never asked me. You never once consulted me. And then I'm asking him to bail me out or to help me or rescue me from the decision that I made. When in reality, I should have started with him in the first place. I should have given him the first priority in every decision and asked, God, what is it that you want from me today? And in this next step in life, no matter how monumental or small it might be, what would you desire from me in this decision? See, so often we don't even think about asking God for his opinion when it comes to decisions, especially small ones in our lives. But even large ones, we sometimes forget to ask God for his input. God, is this the person I should marry? That's a big decision. Most of the time we go, this is who I'm going to marry. God, I hope that's okay with you. So how do we put God first? We make him, we give him first priority in every decision. Proverbs 3 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. It says, seek his will in all that you do, and he'll show you which path to take. So if we put him first in, in our decisions, if we, if we center our decisions around him, guess what? He's going to bless that path. He's going to show us which way to go. Remember guardrails? He's going to help us stay on track. So Number one, we give him the first priority in every decision. Number two, we give him the first dime of every dollar. We just covered this a few months ago when we went through our financial series. And what we learned is in in Proverbs chapter 3, just a couple of verses after what I just read to you, we found out a couple of months ago that it says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the best part of all your produce. And he promises in that that if we do that, that he'll fill our barns with grain and our vats will overflow with good wine. That's what it says. Meaning, if you follow him, if, if you give him the best of what you have and the first of what you have, he'll bless you tremendously for that. Now, when you skip forward to the New Testament, you find out that Jesus talked a lot about money. And there was a reason for that. I think Jesus looked down through the ages and he said, this is one of the areas that they're going to struggle the most. And so I need to give them plenty of instruction on this. This is why he talks so much about it. And we challenged you in that series to take this step to give him the first time of every dollar. Because what we said is it's an equation that doesn't make any sense, but in reality it, it has all kinds of benefits. It's this equation that says 90% with God is greater than 100% without him. And so 
you want God to be first in your life, you have to give him the first dime of every dollar. And then number three, give him first place in every relationship. Every relationship. God should play a role in every relationship. And so often we approach our relationships as though God doesn't care and he doesn't have a a role to play. Do you know that he wants to be the focal point of every relationship that you have? Especially those that are most intimate? See, when we put God first in our life, that means that we choose our spouse. That means that we choose our friends very carefully. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, he says, If you love your father or your mother more than you love me, you can't be my disciple. He said, if you love your daughter or your son more than you love me, you can't be my disciple. And so often we read that and we think, well, that that means I can't love my family. That's not what he's saying at all. He's saying love your family, but you can't love them more than you love me. Why? Because then you've replaced him. You have a different God in your life. And honestly, here's the paradigm that just blows my mind all the time. It's this idea that the best thing you can do for your spouse or for your kids is to love God first. Because it plays out in everything that you do. See, there's no way, there's no way that you can love your spouse or your kids unconditionally if you don't love God first. See, that's the love of Jesus flowing through you that helps you to love them in that way. But yet today, we have what I would call backwards families. We have people who put their kids first. And then their marriage. uh, And then maybe God takes fifth, sixth, tenth place in in that list. When in reality, it needs to be flipped over. Uh, One of the reasons why I think we put our kids first is because 40% of the people that are getting married today have kids before they ever get married. Well, of course, in that case, then the kids have a higher priority than the marriage does. And we, we start the marriage off wrong. And we have to understand that you have to put God first, and then your spouse, and then your kids. And if you, if you play it out that way, amazing things are going to happen. We have to love God first, and we'll learn to love everybody else, our spouse, our kids, our friends, our parents. We'll love them unconditionally, but it's because God comes first. Number four, I would say that you have to give him the first minutes of every day. Now, I'm not saying in this because I'm not a morning person. I'm not saying you got to get up early and he gets the first couple of minutes of the day. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is he gets the best part of the day. Let me ask you this. Do you give God the best part of your day or do you give him the worst part? Do you give him the leftovers of your day? Like you go through the day and you, at the end of the day you're going to bed and then all of a sudden you're like, you know what, I haven't had a quiet time. I haven't, I haven't jumped into the word of God today. Maybe I should do that. And so you start to open up the Bible and start to read while you're laying in bed. And by the time you get to the second verse, you've already fallen asleep. Anyone? Is that just me or is that you guys too? So this is what we do. And if we want God to be on the throne of our life, to be the focal point of our life, we have to give him the best part of our day not the leftovers. It all comes down to priority. What's most important to you? Uh, And then the last one that I would give you is give him the first call when there are problems. Isn't it funny how we run into problems all the time? And and we know we're going to have issues in life. Jesus told us that. But when we run into those things, the last thing we think of is God. We wait until the very last minute. Usually when we call on God to help us in our problems, it's the last resort when it should be the first step. We start to approach anything in life, even problems, we should call out to God. Psalm 50 says, then call on me when you're in trouble and I will rescue you and you will give me glory. 
Do you realize that when you remember Jesus at the very beginning of your problems and you call out to him, that you're bringing glory and honor to his name? Like you bring honor to him when you call out to him early in your problems, not at the last minute, but early? Why? Because it's priorities. See, we either live by priorities or we live by pressure. And too many of us, even those of us that call in the name of Jesus Christ, are living our lives according to pressure, not by priority. We, we live our lives by worry, not by trust. And he says, trust in me and let me take care of it. This is the first commandment out of the ten. He says, I am the Lord your God, and there will be no other God in your life, just me. Now, why is this the first out of the ten? Why, why did God choose to give him this one before all the others? I think it's because if we don't get this first one right, the other nine are not going to make sense. If, if we don't get this one right, then you and I can't and we won't fulfill the other commandments. This is where it all starts and ends. This is the foundation for the Ten Commandments. That God is the focal point of your life. That he sits on the throne of your life. He said, I am the Lord your God who rescued you out of the land of Egypt and the place of your slavery. You must not have any other gods but me. That's what he says. This is the first step. And so I want to challenge you today with an action step. I gave you five areas of your life. And I want to ask the question, which one will you commit to work on? I don't want you just to jump into all of them. That's not what I'm asking you for. I want you to take one step towards Jesus today, toward fulfilling this first commandment. So which one will you work on? Which one struck you? Which one that did you look at and go, I'm not doing a very good job in that area? Was it, was it the decisions? Like you need to include him more on the decisions of your life or, or maybe it's the finance piece or maybe it's the relationships. Like you're running into relationships and not once asking Jesus to be a part of that at all. Maybe it's your scheduling. Maybe you have trouble making him a priority of your life and giving him the best part of the day or maybe it's the, when you get into problems you have trouble trusting him. I just want you to commit yourself to one. Which one will it be for you so that we might fulfill this first commandment? During the series, we're going to have some fun of kind of bouncing between a few different people each morning, talking through the different commandments. We thought that would be a little bit better way to do it. Um, as we are talking about and preparing for the commandments, we also kind of realized that there would probably be a lot of crossover, a lot of opportunity for us to almost talk on top of each other a little bit. And so we decided, you know, actually that's a good thing. We didn't take the attitude of, you know, stay in your lane, bro. You know, we decided to go ahead and, and let that happen. And in particularly these two commandments, commandment one where, where God is number one, he's the only God, and the second commandment which is about having no idols in our lives, these ones really have a lot of crossover. Um, some of the early church fathers such as Augustine actually took these two and combined them together and called them one commandment. And as you look at uh, Judaism as well as uh, some different flavors of Christianity, they actually put these two together because they are so similar. And so uh, today we're going to kind of dive through that, and I'm going to talk to you a little bit about the second commandment. And the second commandment comes from Exodus as well, and it says, You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind, or an image of anything in the heavens, or on the earth, or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, 
who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. The easy view of no idols would be this. You know, if I came out here and I had a golden calf next to me and I started to, to bow down and worship to it, some of you might have a cow, right? And that would be appropriate. It really would. Um, God thought this no idol thing was so important that he actually talks about it over 150 times in the Bible. You cover it in a lot of different areas. And what it really is about is, again, putting something before God first. Okay? God is the king. He's Jehovah. He's the head of state. And so the way to think about it is that having an idol is like high treason. It's committing a crime against the kingdom. And the consequence for treason is death. And as you read through the Old Testament, a lot of people say, boy, God was really angry in the Old Testament. And what we see a lot of is there's all these different peoples and nations that are bowing down to false idols and worshiping them instead of the real creator, the God that we worship. And so because of that, there's times where God, well, he condemns those people to be wiped out. And for us, that seems incredibly harsh. But at the same time, when you read those stories, keep in mind that God always had the opportunity for an individual to make a change, to repent, to start to worship the real God and be able to come. And, and so we read stories like, like Rahab in Jericho, and she saw who God was and changed her allegiance and she was saved. This is such a big directive that God spent a lot of different times throughout the Bible talking about it. In Deuteronomy 4, before the commandments are repeated again, he brings up, and he's got a large section that's all about having no idols. In the interest of time, I'm not reading the whole thing, but this is some of the pieces out of it. Do not make idols of any shape or form. Don't, don't try to make me by making an idol. For the Lord your God is a devouring fi fire. He is a jealous God. Do not corrupt yourselves. If you do this, it will corrupt who you are and how you view things. Don't worship idols made of wood and stone, gods that never see, neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. They're not real. God warned the Israelites in all of this. He said, if you go into this land that I'm giving you and you start to worship all of these idols, what's going to happen is you're going to turn away from me. You're going to walk away from me. And for a period of time, you're going you're to be under someone else. And then you'll cry out and you'll come back to me and you'll keep doing this. But eventually, your hearts will be so corrupted. And generation after generation of worshiping idols, you will be scattered throughout the earth until there's a point that you decide to come back to me. And that's basically a summary of the Old Testament. That's what happens. Cycles of sin, cycles of following false gods, until finally God said, I'm going to bring in the Assyrians, I'm going to bring in the Babylonians, and you're going to be exiled. Until the Israelites, the Jews, came to a place and said, there's no more idols for us, we're following God. And that's where we still find them today. Why did people go after idols? What was it that was so interesting to them? Well, first of all, idols give you a sense of physical proximity and the presence of a God. There are times when we're in our walk and we feel alone, and it would be great to have something or someone beside us, wouldn't it? And so that's why people have idols. It's a way of being able to feel like they've got, they've got a God in their back pocket that they can count on. The other thing is idols give you a sense of control. 
you get to control where the idol is. You get to control what it sees, what's, what it is exposed to. But the biggest thing is that idols actually are a way, a path to our desires. You think about a lot of what idols are about. They're about things like wealth and security and fertility and romance, and the list goes on. These are some desires that we have that we all have and want to pursue, and having an idol is kind of an easy and a quick way to maybe maybe get to it, right? Offer the idol something, and it's kind of like a, you know, cosmic vending machine. You put your quarters in, you pull the lever, and something great comes out. That's why people pursue idols. Idols weren't just an Old Testament thing. We find it in the New Testament as well. Paul kind of summarized a lot of this idolship idol worship this way. He was talking about people who had left God, and he said, yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. And as a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. When we read this, of course, we're thinking of those physical idols, aren't we? That's kind of where it, it kind of falls. And, and it seems pretty easy that maybe we're not doing that, right? But if you do, you're, again, placing something in front of God. You're forgetting the first commandment, and you're breaking the second commandment as well. But what about you? I'm sure many of you don't have like a house idol. You don't have something waiting for you at the door or a special room in your house you go to. And so it's easy for us to say, no, we, we don't have idols, right? That's pretty easy. But what if we look at a couple other verses? 1 John 5.21 says it this way, Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. That's in a lot of translations. But I like the way the NLT says it. The NLT, I think, gets to the heart of the matter and says it this way. Dear children, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your hearts. That's an idol. Something that you place in your heart that takes God's place. So again, if you ask the question, what about you? How are you doing with idols? Now it's a little harder. Some of the common things we experience, we live in a beautiful state. It's incredible, just the nature and the things we get to enjoy. Well, sometimes we can fall into worshiping nature more than the creator of nature. To sit there and go, wow, what an amazing sunset we had today, instead of, thank you, God, for that gift you gave us. How about this one, hero worship? Probably not making a lot of fans here with this picture, but this is one of the classic things. Worshiping someone and placing them on such a pedestal that they become an idol for us. Many of us know actors, actresses, rock stars, pop culture people, sports stars. We know so much about their life. We know their stats. We know what they're into. We know so much about what's happening in their lives. But we don't have a relationship with God that's at that same level. They become an idol. And we can even do that in Christian circles, too, with a pastor or a particular teacher or some evangelist or something like that. Sometimes we start to look at them as a hero and forget that they're actually serving God and we need to do the same. What about self? Narcissism. 
loving ourselves so much, right? This one is kind of rampant in our culture today too, right? If you find yourself taking a lot of selfies, selfies in themselves aren't bad, but what's the heart issue behind it? Why are you doing that? And it may not just be our looks or the exercise we pursue. It could be our intelligence, our egos. There's a lot of things that we love about ourselves. And we start loving ourselves more than we love God. Boy, we are on a desperate path of an idol as well. How about career and ambition? You know, we can look at somebody in a, in a suits and, and everything like that and say, oh, I'm not that. I'm not living for the corporate world. I'm not there. But do you find yourself often saying, I'm too busy? I'm too busy to read my Bible. I'm too busy to get involved in church. I'm too busy to help my neighbor or get to know them. It could be that career and ambition are taking over and they've become an idol as well. You're placing that over relationship. Relationship with God and relationship with others. How about money? Money's a pretty easy idol, isn't it? We love it question is, are we placing our security in how much we have in the bank account versus our security in God? I'm not saying that we shouldn't work hard and, and pursue great financial stewardship. That's not it. It's all about our heart again. Do we trust money that when hard times will come, our 401k, our retirement, whatever is going to get us through versus trusting God to provide for us? If so, then our money has become an idol. What about family? Family can become an idol too. Do you care so much about what's happening with your kids or your parents or whatever? Not that we shouldn't take care of them, of course, but are we so focused on them that, again, we don't focus on God and we don't look to God for help in all of those situations? Even religion can become an idol. If we allow it to become what we do and forget about the worship of God, do you pray to the cross or do you pray to the one who was on the cross? It's a heart issue, isn't it? And even something like that, which is good, can become an idol and prevent us. For my last one, just real quick, I was told a joke recently by Gordon, and I thought I'd share it with you, which is a little dangerous to share one of Gordon's jokes, but... Basically, it's how do prisoners talk to each other? They use cell phones, right? And I know the word cell phone is actually more about the antennas and how they all communicate and everything, but cell phones can become an imprisonment, couldn't they? Social media, just always needing to be connected to everybody except the person we're with, right? Those phones can become something as well. And when you first wake up in the morning, what do you do first? You grab your phone to catch up on things? Do you grab it to check, you know, maybe your Fitbit stats of how you slept last night? Or do you pray? Do you focus on God and use your very first thing? It tells a lot about where an idol might be in your life. So real quick, I want to give you a couple things of ways to combat idols in our lives. Just three quick things. The first combat tactic is to remove idols. Maybe when I went through that list, there was something that tweaked you. Maybe there was something that was a little close to home. And so the thought is, consider what an idol might be in your life 
and for a period of time, give it up. Now, just so you know, I'm not talking about coffee, right? Coffee's an addiction. That's a different sermon, okay? <laughs> talking about idols, all right? But give it up for a period of time. And instead, during that time, instead of focusing and filling yourself with that idol, fill yourself with God. The things that Don went through, some of those ideas, what, are, what could you put your priority in? That would be a great tactic to avoid idols. Tactic number two is, again, focusing on God, but specifically using His Word. And I have a number of scriptures here. There's a lot of different scriptures that help us focus on God. And if you look in the app, they're listed there if you want to go through them. But there are things like Psalm 1914, which says, May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Or 1 Corinthians 10.31, which just says, Whatever you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. So use some of these verses to kind of figure out what the idols are, but also how to focus on God. And the last tactic is actually pretty easy. It's engage. It's something that we talk about all the time at NBF. The way to replace an idol is to get involved in the kingdom. The way to remember who is king is to serve him and be part of what he's doing. And so really simply pray, serve, read your Bible, and give. Those are great ways to engage, to remove the idols in your life, because when you start again to focus on the king, they go away. See, the thing about idols is they're a lot like a chocolate Easter bunny, right? It looks good, you start to eat it, and you find out it's hollow, and it leaves you empty. Thanks for joining us here at Mountain View Fellowship. We'd love the chance to meet you in person. We gather each Sunday at 9 and 10.45 a.m. at 1955 Headlight Road in Strasburg, Colorado. If you aren't able to join us in person, we'll meet you right back here next week. God bless.